All right, so here we are. Yes, what is this place? You're probably wondering. Let me show you around. Uh, you see all these cars, you see all these trucks. Uh, what about all this stuff? You're like, what is this? Uh, by the way, is that your Porsche name? No, it's not. I wish. Still praying about that one, but no, it's not. All this stuff actually belongs to different people because we've been able to use this space. And by the way, this is Mosaic Space. We were we got this in the middle of a pandemic and then turned it into its big storage unit, basically for people to rent out and put their stuff here. And so this has been really great because it was a solution to a problem that our community, our city has because people need a place like this. This was not the only place during the pandemic that we use strategically. We've used all our facilities in a very practical way to serve the needs for our community. So check out what the Hope Center looks like during the week. Check out the foyer. Look at this. I mean, did you know that it looked like that? How about, let's go to the classrooms, the kids' classroom. Look at this, look at all that stuff. What's going on here? Look at the auditorium. Let's look at the loft here. Wow, what's going on? Well, what's going on is that there's a Montessori school that rents out our facility and they meet here. And they will be, then we clean it all up for the weekend. Yes, it seems like a lot of stuff. And guess what? It is. In fact, do you remember our generation, next generation space? Yes, we uh, converted that space. And now let me show you this. Yeah, the school uses this as well. In fact, other churches uses our facilities. Organizations use our facilities. And in the middle of the pandemic, we were able to actually help launch two other churches because we use our facilities for good. Well, why am I telling you all of this? Because, because what I am standing in right now, we want to turn into a gymnasium. Yes, see, a gymnasium for our community to use for different kinds of sports, volleyball, soccer, basketball. And we've got a school that wants to partner with us. So how do you and I step into this? How do we partner? Well, we want to raise a half a million dollars. Yes, 500K people. Yes, we want to do this. And I think we really can. Actually, I know, I know we can if we do it together. And so I want you to partner with us and let's invest in the future and let's be the church that creates spaces, not just for ourselves, but for other people. In fact, we wanna actually go after another space as well. I know you're like, what are you doing? Well, here's what we're trying to do. We're trying to create a hope center and we wanna be the epicenter of hope for our city and yes, even for our world. So join us. We are so excited to be able to build a gymnasium and make our space even more of a hope center for our community. Our ask is that you would join in praying and asking God how he wants you to be part of this campaign to raise $500,000. And listen, if he says not now, now is not the time, then that's your answer. And we are good with that. But maybe God will give you a number, maybe something that maybe it's a little scary or terrifies you just enough, but this could be part of him answering the question of you growing in your faith. Well, good morning. My name is Kristen. I am one of the pastors here at Mosaic Church, and we are in the middle of a series called The Expanse, which is a series talking about erasing the boundaries of our faith. 
But first, let me ask you this. Have you ever had to own something? Like own something, not a thing, not like a house or a car or a possession, but have you ever had to own something, admit it? Maybe own up to something that maybe you got called out of, maybe somebody revealed something that you were like, ah, I wasn't exactly ready for somebody to call that out, a true thing about you. And then you have this decision moment, right? You're like, okay, here's the thing. What am I going to do? Am I going to own it or am I going to try to cover it up? See, actually, this happens to me a lot as a pastor. It's the weirdest thing, but in certain situations, I'll be in a place and then they always ask the question, right? So what do you do? So what do you do? You would think that I would just flat out, I'm a pastor because I'm proud of it. But do you know what often happens? <laughs> do you know what often happens? My answer is, yeah, um, I work for a church. I work for a church. I don't know why I do this. I'm not proud of it. Maybe I'm trying to protect their feelings because of the situation, the context, things they've said or what's going on. Honestly, I think that um, it might be me. Like, I don't want people to treat me differently. But I have to decide in those moments, am I going to own it or I'm going to try to cover it up by just saying, you know, I work for a church. This actually happened to me just this past week. We were at cheerleading, and it was the last game of the season. And both of the girls were cheering. They didn't even know a football game was going on. All they knew was that they were cheering in the end zone. And at the end of the game, at the end of the season, they all got together, and they all prayed, and it was great. And then Margot piped up, love her, and she was like, hey, my mom can pray. She's a pastor. <laughs> and all of these moms, all of these parents that I've been talking to for the whole entire season just turned and looked at me like, is this true? And so I had to own it. I had to decide, right? And to be honest, I felt dumb. I should have owned it from the very beginning, but for whatever reason, I didn't. So laugh at me, judge, you, judge me if you must. But I bet that you do this too. I bet that some of you are out there just living your life, doing your thing, and then somebody goes, hey, but aren't you a Christian? And you have that question. You have to decide whether or not you're going to own it. See, because faith is not something that you can just see as a belief. You can have the belief. You can have faith. And no one ever knows. But it's one of those things that we have to decide. Am I going to own this or am I going to try to hide it? Because really those are the only options. You can own it or you can hide it. You can't borrow someone else's faith. And I think sometimes we try right? We ask people to pray for us. We might ask somebody, hey, what does this passage of scripture actually mean? We might Google it instead of asking the Holy Spirit to reveal what it is that we're supposed to get out of that reading. But I don't think it actually works that way. You can borrow hope. You can borrow truth. You can borrow maybe even somebody's expression of faith in ways that you can live it out, but you can't actually borrow faith itself. See, having faith is great. Believing in God is an amazing, great first step. But owning your faith is taking responsibility or maybe even pride in that and putting action to what you believe. So for the next few weeks of this series, we're going to be looking at a lot of different people in Hebrews 11. And this chapter is often referred to as the Hall of Faith because it tells the story of a lot of people who did exactly that. They walked in faith. They trusted God enough to believe what he said, and they moved in faith toward things that they could not see. Today, we're going to talk about the only woman who's listed in Hebrews 11 without being connected to a male counterpart. It's in Hebrews 11:31. 31. 
says, by an act of faith, Rahab, the Jericho harlot, welcomed the spies and escaped the destruction that came on those who refused to trust God. Now, some of you I know are like, Jericho, Jericho, why does that sound familiar? Well, listen, if you were a church kid in the 90s, this is the story of Larry the Cucumber walking the wall, sieging the French peas, and then getting Slurpees dumped on their heads when they walked around, right? Anybody? Child of the 90s? Grew up evangelical? Okay. Some of you right now, I know, I can hear you. Some of you are not so much with the Veggie Tales, but you're singing the song. You're singing the song from Sunday school. I've had it in my head for three days. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, Jericho, Jericho. Y'all know it. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down. Okay, all right. Anyways, whether or not you know the Veggie Tales or the song, we are going to look at the battle of Jericho. This was basically the beginning of the Israelites, which are God's chosen people, moving into the promised land. And that is what happened. God's army marched around the city for six days, blowing trumpets. Then on the seventh day, they walked around extra amount of times, blew trumpets more, and yelled at the walls until they came falling down. Which, to be honest, I think is a story that we all remember because it's quite weird, right? It's weird. Like, I know God is powerful and he can do anything, but how does this actually work that they yelled the walls down? Here's what I want to know. Did they have to walk together? Was it like a field trip? Like they had to hold the rope? You know, like the little kids all sing together? I think some of you probably would have liked that. Let me know in the chat. Would you have liked this? Are you a slow walker? Would you have wanted to walk together as a group? I'm going to tell you that I would not have liked that because I am... I'm a speed walker. I've actually been told by multiple people that they don't like walking with me because <laughs> I go too fast. Listen, I have places to go and I have things to do. And if I'm being honest, which is an even worse confession, if it was me, I probably would have made it into a competition. I'm not proud of this. I'm just telling you this is true. I know who I am. I just wonder, you know, these old Bible stories, how did it actually work? Not that it matters. Today, we're not really talking about that story in particular, but we want to look at what took place right before this happened, where God used the faith of Rahab the prostitute to fulfill a promise that he'd made to his chosen people. So where we are in scripture is that Moses got the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. He put them in a 40-year timeout because he kept telling them, yo, y'all are not ready to go into the promised land that I have for you. So now Moses has died and Joshua has stepped up to be the new leader. He has direction from God that it is finally time to move and go into the promised land. But Joshua's like, you know, we've had this 40-year timeout. Like, I'm going to just cover my bases. I'm going to send in two spies just to double check, just to, like, scour the place and see what's going on. So he does. He sends two spies across the Jordan River to check out the land, specifically the city of Jericho. And so the two spies go in, and they end up at Rahab's house for the night, which is probably a safe hiding space because Rahab was a prostitute. She was a prostitute. So two strange men coming into her house at whatever time of day, leaving at whatever time of day, nobody would have blinked an eye at that. So they thought it was probably a good hiding spot, but either it wasn't as good of a hiding place as they thought, or they were just really terrible spies. Because within hours that night, already the king of Jericho knew not only that they were there, but where they were. And so he sends his men to get them. 
That's where we're going to pick it up in Joshua 2, verse 4. Rahab had hidden the two men, but she replied, Yes, the men were here earlier, but I didn't know where they were from. They left the town at dusk as the gates were about to close. I don't know where they went, but if you hurry, you can probably catch up with them. Actually, parenthetical, she had taken them up on the roof and hidden them beneath bundles of flax that she had laid out. Gotta love when the Bible writers give us those details that we need, right? Verse 7, so the king's men went looking for the spies along the road, leading to the shallow crossings of the Jordan River. And as soon as the king's men had left, the gate of Jericho was shut, which means that no one else was going out or coming in for the night. It's very important to see that the city of Jericho was inside of a wall. Once the gate was closed, it was contained. Verse 8, before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up on the roof to talk with them. I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We are all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror, for we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know what you did to Sion and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. Her depiction of God here is so, so interesting. Because as a Canaanite woman, she would have known about their God, she, just as she would have known about many other gods. There were gods of astrology. There were gods of fertility. There were gods of crops and healing. And who the Canaanites worshipped would have depended on what they needed. They were used to giving their worship to any variety of gods, but there was no hierarchy. None of them was above the others. Yet here she is talking to the two spies, essentially saying that Yahweh, the God of the Israelites, the Lord was the supreme God, the supreme God. And all of this alludes to the fact that not only did she know about this God, but all of Jericho knew of him. She's saying, she's like, hey, we have heard the things that your God has done. We have heard the things that you have done in his name. And it is like legit. This is stuff that none of these gods have ever shown. We've never seen this kind of power before. So they knew of God. They knew enough about him to know what he was capable of. And they knew enough to be afraid that they were paying attention as his people were getting closer and closer and closer. And that's why they were saying, hey, we are too afraid to fight this power, this army, this God that is coming for us. See, Rahab didn't fully understand who the Lord was in this moment. She certainly didn't have a relationship with him yet. She hadn't chosen him alone above other gods but it was clear that God was speaking to her anyway. She, she heard or felt him enough to realize that this God was different in the best way, better than any of the other gods she'd worshiped before. So she decides to try this God out and see what happens in verse 12. She's still talking to the spies. She says, now swear to me by the Lord that you will be kind to me and my family 
since I have helped you. Give me some guarantee that when Jericho is conquered, you will let me live along with my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all of their families. And they respond in verse 14, we offer our lives as a guarantee for your safety. The men agreed. If you don't betray us, we will keep our promise and be kind to you when the Lord gives us the land. Rahab wants a guarantee, which seems totally fair, right? I think it seems totally fair. She doesn't know these people. She doesn't know this God. She's never seen him work in her life. So she's looking for some kind of assurance. I can just hear the questions going through her mind. Like, how do I know you're not trying to trick me? How do I know that you're not just telling me what I want to hear? How do I know that I can trust you and this God that you represent? And the first reading of scripture, it looks like she gets a guarantee because they say, okay, but if you think about it, all she gets is their word. All she gets is their word. There's nothing concrete. There's nothing definitive about their promise. So she can only move forward in what? In faith. She can only move forward in faith by trusting a God that she can't see. So they make a deal and she lets them down through her window because remember the wall that goes around the city was actually two walls built parallel with space in between and there were apartments built in there for a lot of the middle class. It would have made sense for Rahab, a prostitute, to live in the city wall where people had easy access to get in and out. So she uses a scarlet cord, ties it to the window and they lower themselves out of the city gate down the wall. But right before they leave, they look up her and they make all these addendums, right? Which seems to be all these loopholes in the contract. They're like, hey, 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 thanks for getting us out of here before we go. We will be bound by the oath we have taken only if you follow these instructions. When we come into the land, you must leave this scarlet rope hanging from the window through which you let us down. And all your family members, your father, your mother, your brothers, and all your relatives must be here inside the house. If they go out into the street and are killed, yo, it's not our fault. It will not be our fault. But if anyone lays a hand on people inside this house, we will accept the responsibility for their, for their death. If you betray us, however, which seems very open-ended, we are not bound by this oath in any way. I can just see Rahab standing there in the window and she's like, okay, okay, okay. Like that sounded like you're really trying to get out of this, but also the king's men are coming and I just need you to go. So the spies do, they go and they hide in the hill country for three days, evading the king's men before going back to Joshua and reporting in verse 24, the Lord has given us the whole land, they say, for all the people in the land are terrified of us. And that's when Joshua leads the Israelites to march down the city of Jericho, like the song that so many of you know so well. See, God fulfilled his promise of allowing his people to enter into the promised land that they'd waited generations for. And he did it through a pagan prostitute who chose to put her trust in what she could not see. He did it through a pagan prostitute who chose to trust what she could not see. Rahab, even though she had all kinds of things against her, all kinds of limitations and things that told her that she was unworthy and unchosen and unusable and the wrong kind of person, she owned her faith. And because she did, God used her. 
God wants to use you too. Are you willing to own your faith? Are you willing to trust God to move? And what could be the thing that is standing in your way that is keeping you from doing it? Maybe like Rahab, you feel like you have no authority. You have no authority. She had no authority. Her gender, her religion, her ethnicity, her career, all of them on their own were enough to count her out. They were enough to make sure that that she didn't matter. She really didn't have a voice, but she didn't let any of those things stop her. When the king's men who had all of authority came to her, they listened. The king's men and the spies both did what she said, which would have been unheard of in a hierarchical society like this where she would have been at the bottom every single time. Her words should have had no merit. She had no power, but she owned it. She spoke in confidence. She trusted whatever she was feeling and hearing inside, and they listened to her anyway. Maybe you think that you are missing a title, that you're missing power, that you're missing some kind of authority, but God wants to use you right now. You don't have to be the boss at work. You don't have to be in a C-suite level. You don't even have to be one of the guys at work. You can still impact and lead the people who have authority and leadership over you. You don't have to be a husband or a wife or a parent. You can still impact and influence your family and the families around you. You don't have to have a platform or a stage or a following. Some of you need to stop waiting to be given the authority that God says you already have in him right now. Right now, your position at your level in your life, you need to own it because God wants to use you. Maybe you relate to Rahab and that you don't actually have an understanding of who God is. You've heard of him, but you're not really sure. Remember, Rahab didn't either. She saw enough to go, okay, something is different here with this God, but she didn't know him like the Israelites did. Not even a little bit. She didn't even have a relationship. She didn't know the Torah. She didn't know the stories. She didn't know the history. She certainly wasn't doing any of the spiritual practices or rituals that the Israelites would have required for people to do to show their faith. She wasn't praying. She wasn't fasting. She wasn't offering sacrifices. Let's remember she was a prostitute. I'm pretty sure that would have gone against the Israelite way of living. That was against the Jewish tradition. But none of that mattered to God. He used her before she ever had the chance to prove herself to him. He used her before she ever had the chance to prove herself worthy of being used by him. Because she owned her faith, the little bit of understanding that she had, it was enough. Maybe some of you don't really understand God Maybe you're unlearning a God that you grew up with or a God you used to know and you're not sure where you've landed yet. You don't know who God is or who he's supposed to be and you're still trying to wrestle through these doubts and questions in your mind. Maybe this is your first time actually getting curious and going, okay, what is this Christianity thing all about? What is this Jesus follower thing all about? Right where you are with your exact level of understanding, God is speaking to you already. He is speaking to you 
all ready. And he wants to use you, not like a puppet and not like a tool, and maybe in a way that you've been used before by a church or an institution. This is not how God wants to use you. He wants to work in your life and work through your life. But you have to own your faith so that you are not blocking him from moving. So you don't have to memorize scripture. You don't even have to know where this story is in the Bible. You don't even have to have a Bible. It's okay. You can still own the faith that you do have. Trust in the belief that there is something about this God, that whatever that thing is within you that is drawing you close to him to know more about him, that just maybe that feeling is God speaking to you all along. You don't have to worry about the right way to do any of it. Just start talking. Just start thinking. That's actually all that praying is. Tell God what you think and what you feel. Tell him your questions. Tell him your fears. Tell him your doubts. And then just leave space for him to answer. You don't even have to have a home church. Maybe you don't even know how you came across this video or somebody sent it to you. Or this is just one of multiple messages that you're going to check out this week because you are just trying to find a place that's different than where you were and you can't seem to find a church that feels like home for you yet. This is a hard season of not knowing where you fit. But even now, you can own your faith because God is still speaking to you. Maybe like Rahab, you want God to use you. You're like, I do. God, whatever your will is, I want you to use me. But you're scared because you don't have any certainty. You have no certainty. See, the scary thing for me in this story is that Rahab's only smidgen of certainty came in relying on other people. All she had was their word. And as a single woman, as a prostitute, I am willing to bet that she'd heard empty promises from men before. I'm willing to bet that she'd been let down by men before, that she'd had her hopes go unfulfilled before. And here she was. The only certainty of her safety was in relying on the word of other people again. See, I don't know about you, but I, I don't like relying on other people. <laughs> It's really hard for me. Now, sure, there are certain things that I will rely on you for all day long. Cooking, cleaning, anything having to do with my car or budgeting or the news or keeping up with government stuff. Listen, you can take care of that for me all day long and I will rely on you no problem. But the things that are important to me, the things that will impact other people, things that will affect other people's perception of me, things that... I know that I do better than you. It's really hard for me to rely on other people because I want to do, do those things myself. I want to do them myself because I don't trust people not, I don't trust people not to mess it up. It's too important to risk sometimes or at least it feels that way. And then what happens is because I know myself, if things don't work out the right way, it's really easy to find blame and it's really hard to find forgiveness. Please tell me I'm not alone. Somebody in the chat, let me know you can relate. But I wonder for some of us if this is the thing getting in the way of God using us. If we can't trust other people, if we can't trust the people that we can see right in our own lives, how are we going to be able to trust a God that we can't see? You might be waiting on certainty or assurance to put action to your faith but God might want to deliver his promise to you through another 
person. Rahab had to rely on the spies and the spies had to be able to rely on her. See, being in relationship never brings certainty, but every relationship, every connection to another person opens a door for God to move. And if we believe that God wants to use us to reach other people, then we also have to accept the fact that God wants to use other people to reach us. Right now, in your situation, maybe owning your faith is allowing other people in. Maybe it is relying on other people in your life. You don't have to know what's going to happen next. You don't have to know all of the answers or how things are going to work out. You don't have to know what all the next steps are because faith, after all, is built on uncertainty. Hebrews 11.1. Hebrews 11 starts like this. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for an assurance about what we do not see. You have to own your faith, but don't just do it for yourself. Rahab owned her faith, and here's what happened. A few chapters later, we see in Joshua 6, so Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute and her relatives who were with her in the house. Because she had hidden the spies, Joshua sent to Jericho. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. So Rahab moved in. She adopted the customs of the Israelites. She started following their their God, and it was this amazing, great transformation conversion story. But that's not even the coolest part. That's not even the end of Rahab's story. We hear about her again in another list of names in the New Testament. Let me paraphrase for you Matthew 1. See, Rahab had a son named Boaz who married Ruth. Ruth had a son named Obed, who had a son named Jesse. Jesse had a son named David, who grew up to become the king. David, through Bathsheba, had a son named Solomon, who, after many, many more generations of having sons and sons and sons and sons, got to the place of having a son named Joseph, who married a young girl named Mary, who had a son named Jesus. This chokes me up every time I think about it. Rahab, this marginalized, seemingly insignificant, nobody prostitute, owned her tiny little bit of faith, and God used her for generations. God used her for generations. God used her family line to bring Jesus Christ into the world. By owning her faith, she invested not only in her own life, but in the future, in things that she would never get to see or be part of. And I think she, we, we know that she understood the importance of investing because that's why she included her own family in that contract with the spies to begin with. She didn't have to do that, but she was like, hey, if you're going to make a promise to me, I'm going to bring in everybody else that I can. But there is no way that she could have fully understood how God would multiply her tiny amount of faith. Do you think, as she was lowering the spies out of her brothel window, that she was like, you know what? Because of this, one day, thousands and millions of people will be saved and reconciled to God through my great, 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 grandson. Absolutely not. There is no way. She had no idea how God would use her and continue to use her story. She just knew she had to own her faith in the moment. 
Honestly, Rahab didn't erase the boundaries of her faith that were put around her. She just refused to let them stop her or define what her faith had to look like. So what about you? What about you? You have no idea what you will get to be a part of. You have no idea how God wants to use you and continue to use your story if you will own your faith and trust him to move. If you invest what you have, if you invest the tiny bit that you have, as small as it is, and trust God to multiply it, what could the impact be? God put you here in this time, in this space, among this community for a reason. And I don't know exactly how he's gonna use you, but I do know that he wants to. And he wants you to do your part. You can rely on other people, but you can't borrow their faith. You can't delegate your own faith. Sometimes we try to convince ourselves that we can, right? It's easy to look around and say, oh, well, God is using him and God is moving through her and God is gonna do it through them. And there are plenty of people that are gonna own their faith. There are plenty of people that are gonna live this out. Nobody's gonna notice if I'm not part of it. But you have no idea what God wants to do, what he is waiting to do through you and your story if you will step up and own your faith as we trust God to move in our city, as we invest together for the future, for the lives of people that we haven't even met yet and maybe never even will by raising this $500,000 to make this space uh, the answer to the needs of our community without authority, without understanding, without certainty. Will you own your faith and trust God that he can and will use it. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you so much for the way that not only do you use our stories, but the way that you interweave them together. God, we thank you that we have stories like Rahab's so that God, when we feel like we don't have enough faith and we feel like we don't have it all together, we don't have the answers, maybe we're not living correctly. God, we can, we can look at these real people and see how nothing disqualified them. God, they didn't have to have a certain level of faith or knowledge or ability or finances. And so God, we ask that you would show us where we need to own our faith. God, show us the things that are blocking us or getting in the way of us living it out. God, thank you that all of our stories are connected and that we get to do this together. In your name we pray. Amen.